Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Holden Village Podcast. I am your host, Dev, he, him pronouns, and I'm with one of our wonderful Week 9 faculty of the 2023 summer program, David Vasquez Levy. How would you like to introduce yourself and what's one inspiring thing that's happened to you this week? Well, again, my name is David Vasquez Levy. I use he, him, L pronouns. I uh, serve as president at Pacific School of Religion, PSR. It's a seminary in Berkeley, California. I'm ordained in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, so I'm an ELCA pastor, but I am serving a seminary that is not ELCA affiliated, uh, but is part of a consortium together with a Lutheran school in a Pacific Theological Lutheran Seminary, uh, PLTS. I'm parent of two kids, uh, married to Carla Sumala, with whom I am co-teaching this week. I'm originally from Guatemala and have mm-hmm. sort of lived and moved all over the place. Uh, a lot of my commitments, interests, in my life have to do with connections between academic communities, uh, faith communities, and social change. So something inspiring this week, it, it, it's been great to be back at Holden. I uh, you know, came pretty regularly you know, for about 10 years with our family, and um, this part early on when Abriendo Caminos first started. One inspiring thing is just being back, take some of the hikes uh, here, and just being back uh, with the community. The conversations have been great in the studies and in just listening to others in their presentation, so. How would you describe uh, Abriendo Comino to our outside listeners? What is that week like at Holden? It's interesting because I was just talking with some of the folks who were here at the very beginning of it. You know, the the words uh, Abriendo means to open and Caminos is way, so opening the way. So I think that uh, the origins of the, it's, it's a one week in which Holden tries to create uh, accommodate a, a broader space of welcome by utilizing language, uh, you know, Spanish as well as English in a lot of the programmatic offerings uh, and creating a space for a richer presence of culture, particularly started out with folks from the Yakima Valley, which uh, many of you, many of the listeners may be familiar with, is on the eastern part of Washington, and it's a large uh, agricultural community that has a significant immigrant population. And so a lot of the folks in that area, uh, somebody began to kind of say, you know, we, we should bring some of those folks uh, to participate up at Holden. The, that group really loved their experience here. And then together with others began to advocate for creating, for opening some space uh, for that. So for this week, you know, like many other things that got disrupted by various transitions the last couple of years with yeah. pandemic and mine remediation, but it's, a, it's great to be back. There's about a hundred and some participants that are part of six different groups this week from uh, Yakima, Sacramento, LA area, uh, up in Seattle. You know, folks that are coming from Spanish-speaking communities and uh, just bringing food, culture. There'll be a fiesta this week. Uh, there's tortilla making this morning, tamales making tomorrow. <laughs> uh, there'll be a, the, the you know, world-famous soccer uh, World Cup. Uh, That's right. Here, you know, the Holden Cup. Uh, the most important <laughs> exactly. part of the year. Yeah. I think there's another <laughs> World Cup going on this yeah. week somewhere, but this <laughs> yeah. is the one. Yeah. It's all happening. <laughs> so how would you like to articulate what you are sharing in your presentations with the village? 
So, Carla, my wife and I are uh, having an opportunity. We, we're picking up on the theme for this summer, Eden is Calling. Uh, and the title of our session, uh, based on one line in, in, in Genesis, uh, where Cain, after killing his brother, uh, is exiled from the area and uh, so lives east of Eden. So he settles mm. east of Eden. So the image of east of Eden has been picked up by a number of different authors over time. Right. Steinbeck's probably the most familiar one in terms of the title of one of his books. But it's sort of this image about living outside of paradise. And, and so we're, we're really trying to invite a conversation about how these sacred stories, the stories that we find in the biblical text, uh, and we're referring to others, uh, but the, how those particular stories uh, really help us think about these big questions and big issues we are wrestling with as a, as a community, as a nation today, uh, particularly looking at the narratives, the big stories we tell ourselves about immigration, mm-hmm. about environment, and how the two connect. So in a way, we're wrestling with these, what we would, you know, uh, William Barber, Bishop William Barber has called God-sized problems that need a God-sized solution, right? So how do we think in big picture about these large issues we are facing around, uh, you know, environmental crisis, as well as its implications on massive mobility of people Mm. uh, and the the, the need for us to wrestle with the sacred texts that might help us think about these in new ways. I'm, I'm curious for for you how much of like the internal like emotional mental work goes in with uh, the work that you do. We need a much more integrated solution. We actually have to challenge those binaries yeah. of internal and external, of practical and theoretical. We need to queer all of these binaries, right? right. So the project of colonialism begins, as most folks will know, you know, with in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right before that, what Columbus is doing, you know, what what led to that was this papal bull, right? That. Uh, it's a papal edict that just basically uh, justified the fact that Europeans, uh, on you know, supposedly on the pretext of conversion, could just go anywhere in the world and just take over land and things. Behind that was the taxonomy, the need to divide the world into certain things. So then the concepts of race that we now live with, you know, come out of that taxonomy, in which you're basically taking the world and analyzing it, dividing it into categories, and placing certain things in categories. Right. In some ways, it led to great developments of knowledge. Right. We can sure. organize the world, understand it, and create categories of plants and animals and other things. But the negative implication of it is that they began to. We then made the categories we created uh, to understand a very organic world, and then they somehow become standard or the reality, even more real than reality in the world. So when we apply that level of categorization to humans put them into categories of race, put them into categories of who's savage and who's not, right? And what kind of knowledge value and others are not, then that's where, you know, there is this fragmentation, including the fragmentation of the internal and the external, right? Most religious traditions actually do not have, have not in its origin, and most of, a lot of the traditions we live with today are Eastern in origin, including Christianity, uh, you know, and Judaism. It, they have the sense of an integration of the self rather than the separation that really is sort of taking a lot of Greek thought, uh, this very binary thought, and, and driving it uh, increasingly so to mm. create that division. And I think that separation actually leads to, you know, uh, has significant consequences both on ourselves, on our psyche, on our well-being, and on the way we relate to the created 
world to the existing world. Are there specific binaries that are like close to your heart that you want to integrate in your work? I think there's uh, a lot of querying that I'd like to do, you know, so it might be helpful just to say a word about my current context. So again, I'm president of Pacific School of Religion. This is a seminary in Berkeley, California that has a, had a long history of kind of progressive, being on the sort of progressive end of, of many social causes throughout its history, you know, over 150 years. Mm. Uh, but really, it's only in the last 10 years or so that the institution has become truly majority people of color, and it has had a long history of being majority LGBTQ. Mm. Uh, so our current student body is majority people of color, majority LGBTQ, about 55% of the student body are uh, uh, part of the LGBTQ community. And that's the case also for faculty, staff, board. So part of it is sort of first creating a very alternative reality, right, in a space yeah. where these two, bind, these two categories of uh, the full inclusion of humans around their self-identity and their understanding of themselves and sexuality, oftentimes is viewed as, in particular within religious settings, as counter to our commitments around racial inclusion. Yeah. So many churches are splitting over this choice they feel they must make, mm -hmm. either to be uh, sort of siding with communities of color or to be siding with LGBTQ communities. Without the, so that's a binary I'm very committed to challenging, right? Mm, In the sense excellent. that actually, if you look outside of many of our faith communities at social movements, many of our contemporary social movements, the Dreamers in immigration, Black Lives Matter within African American advocacy work, many others, they are the leadership of these groups is majority LGBTQ. Mm. So they're coming from communities of color that also are LGBTQ committed. What's important to me that gives me lots of hope is that we know something from being in the in-between, right? People actually live in that queer space, right? Yeah. So part of our work in theological development and thinking and rethinking the world and challenging binaries, it needs to draw from that experience of what it's like to live in the in-between, mm -hmm. right? To challenge the binaries of gender, of sexuality, of race, and what do we know from that experience, either created by migration or identity or a movement? And what have we learned about that? Because that is the wisdom that this colonial project sought to eliminate, right? Is right. that fragmentation in order to divide and conquer. Are there specific stories that oh, yeah. have shaped your faith journey or shaped your activism? I think a particular story uh, that I want to share about, you know, an early experience here at Holden with Abriendo Caminos was that um, I was teaching uh, a course, uh, you know, we were looking at the story of Exodus. And in fact, a lot of the experiences here uh, were captured uh, in a short Bible study I wrote with uh, Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services that's mm -hmm. uh, called Out of the Waters. And um, we were reading the story of Moses, just reading through the text in, in Exodus. And the scene where, in that particular day, we were reading the scene where Moses' mother places Moses into the river. And as we sat in the space, a woman began to cry in the room. And so, who was a participant in a video Camino, an immigrant woman, first generation immigrant. And she began to cry in the class, and so there was silence. We were just kind of trying to, to create space for listening. And then she began to tell the story of 20 years earlier. She had stood at the, along the U.S.-Mexico border on the Rio Grande 
and had to hand her child to a coyote. So she was crossing with her child, who was barely a year old, and she needed to get across the border. And the way that they would do it is that she was going to go by land and run across, so, you know, however she could get across with uh, with a group. But the baby was going to be taken by the coyote mm. uh, with another child's papers through gotcha. the border uh, point uh, checkpoint, but using somebody else's ID, right? And, but she had to let go of the child at that moment, not knowing whether she would be able to make it across, see her baby again across. And so she stood there, and that just transformed for me, hmm. reading a text that I read a million times right. about what is going on for Jochebed, which is the name that the tradition gives to Moses' mother, hmm. to make that decision. And at that point, you know, as many periods of heightened uh, anti-immigrant sentiment in the United States, yeah. there was the sense of the questioning about why people will often say, how can they do this to their children, right? And You know, so not to be, to be able to understand in the sacred text what somebody whose commitment and love for their children, you know, forces them to exercise whatever agency they have within extreme limitations, yeah. you know. And so at that moment for me, there's a phrase about uh, the Bible that, you know, it's been popularized. And, I mean, or I've heard it a number of times that, to the point that I don't know the source. But is that all the stories in the Bible are true. Mm. And some of them even happened. Right. right. So at that moment, that story is true. It is a story of an immigrant woman who's desperate by the, her displacement and by the fear of power that threatens the life of her child. And so she makes the only choice she feels she can make. You know, she exercises whatever agency she has. We know what happens in that story, right. but not at that moment, right? Yeah. She doesn't know what will happen at that point, just like this uh, woman in the Bible study uh, when she had made a decision 20 years earlier. Uh, her son was with her at Colden uh, that beautiful. week and turned 21 hmm. uh, while we were here. That's wonderful. How would you like to see your work evolve? Talking about my own work, right? So mm -hmm. I, this week we're focusing on this connection between environment and migration. It's a deeply integrated reality. And my hope in my work, as well as all of our work, is to see the connections between these various passions that we hold, right? There's a lot of communities, congregations that are committed to the environment and are becoming increasingly aware of the yeah. kind of crisis we are living with. Sometimes we look at that and we are focused on one conversation and sometimes then may think we don't have space or energy for other issues, right? And so we might not have as a congregation or as an individual the capacity or the attention to, to you know, to look at something like immigration. Yeah. Uh, the reality is that they're deeply connected, mm -hmm. right? And so the face of the environmental crisis is most clearly captured in displaced immigrants around the world right now. Yeah. Because the environmental shifts, they are the canary in the mine. Like, yeah. you know, whatever then we are becoming more aware because smoke is flying over across the you know the Canadian border into our land so we have as well dealt with massive fires we are becoming aware of this heat wave so we are beginning to even though much of our uh, population continues to deny the impacts of climate change the realities are becoming more self-evident many of us depending on our affluence and privilege can shield ourselves sure. from those impacts 
So we have to pay attention to those most significantly affected who are much more vulnerable to the implications of that. Yeah. A lot of the immigration that is taking place today is fueled by uh, environmental degradation and changes. My work focuses on, again, this integration of faith communities, academic communities, and social change. So in the study this week, we're trying to think about how these sacred texts actually address these issues, how the ancient ones wrestle with the same questions we're wrestling with today when we think about them as big, God-sized questions, right? right. So they were wrestling. Most of the stories in the Bible uh, that have to do with migration are triggered by an environmental shift. Famine, the book of Ruth, which we'll uh, touch base on later this week, uh, begins by saying, in the time of the judges, there was a famine in the, lie, in the land. Now, you can read right past that introduction and not pay much attention to it. But if you stop for a moment, what it means is in the time of the judges. So the book of Judges is right before. And it ends by saying, in the time of the judges, so you get the same phrase, everyone did what they thought was right in their own sight. So it's a reference to the breakdown of a political system right? Right. that is collapsing. Right? There's a failure of political leadership. So in the time of the judges, when there's a failure of political leadership, there is a famine in the land. So what you have is this twin crisis of political collapse together with an environmental crisis. They're often connected. That leads into this story of, uh, you know, displacement. You know, Naomi ends up having to leave with her family. There's death, there's loss. So my interest in my own work is to say, okay, how do we listen to these stories? What happens in the story is what's called a chiastic structure, right? It, everything reverses through the story. Mm. It begins in famine, it ends in harvest. It begins in death, it ends with the birth of a child that eventually becomes David. It begins with a very xenophobic, anti-immigrant sentiment and hatred across two groups. You know, they go to Moab, the hatred place. And it ends in this integration, uh, you know, and it challenges even gender, right? In terms of the assumption that salvation and all of our well-being will come through the male line. And you end up with tea, these two women that make a commitment to each other, an unsanctioned relationship between two women. Imagine that. <laughs> that leads to a change where she is told at the end that Ruth is more valuable to Naomi than seven sons. So these stories are phenomenal, right? Like, I mean, like, and, and, and so my work, my invitation, my hope in the world can we read the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic. One final question. With all the, the work that you do, you know, some of it can be very serious. Um, there's a concept in Holden Village called Holden Hilarity. So I'm curious, how do you create levity and hilarity or hilarity in your work? So that you don't get too dour, in, <laughs> which happens to okay, a lot of people. I, in fact, I think, you know, this is uh, one of Holden's values that I think has to be really embraced at a time of planetary crisis, of uh, a lot of the issues that we deal with uh, in my work, uh, particularly now in, in leadership formation, you know, as a seminary and a leadership program. Our focus is on the development of leaders and the burnout rate uh, of clergy, of other not-for-profit leadership is really significant right now. It is. Yeah. And for all kinds of reasons, you know, the, the, the growing gap of, uh, you know, just what people are trying to navigate, that tragic gap that's widening about the world as it should be and the world as it is, is taking a toll on many of us. And so we do need a deeper well. We need hilarity. We need joy. We need mm -hmm. possibility. 
you know, growing up in Guatemala in the middle of a civil war, that's how people deal with everything. <laughs> right. It's jokes. Like, I mean, you know, I spent every recess walking around with friends telling jokes. I was amazed as a child about the sheer number of jokes that would be created. Like, you know, every day you heard and told jokes. Yeah. Uh, what I really, um, my, my actual training is as a preacher, right? It's homiletics mm -hmm. and so stories and telling. And so I'm fascinated by jokes and stories, uh, reading books. Yeah, what too. I'm grateful about and where I think, you know, how do we not burn out is to just tell stories, yeah. listen to stories. Uh, in the Bible study, in the session we're doing this week, I, we started out with this phrase from Elie Wiesel uh, that he quotes the rabbi saying, God created humankind for the love of story. Hmm. So the reason God created us is because God loves to tell and hear stories. <laughs> well, as humans right now, we are telling the most stories. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for blessing the village with your presence. Thanks for taking the time to have this conversation. Great. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.